If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Before I introduce you to today's guest expert, I have some exciting news to share. At long last, the Book Marketing Mentors Premium Membership is a reality. This is a brand new membership site that's going to give you even more tips, techniques, and insider secrets from the experts. When you become a premium member, you're going to enjoy even more valuable ways to use your book to make money and thrive as a trusted expert authority in your field. As a premium subscriber, you'll get exclusive access to even more of my book and author marketing, proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips to help you market and sell more books. You'll get monthly exclusive deep dive discussions with some of the best guests I interview on the Book Marketing Mentors podcast. And then finally, how would you like me to interview you? Every month, I'll feature an interview with a nonfiction author, and you've got an opportunity to be chosen as one of those guests. Check the show notes for a link and join the Book Marketing Mentors Premium Membership today so that you can also take advantage of the special introductory price. Now let's get on with the show so that you can meet this week's guest expert and mentor. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is Anne Bonney. She's a fun, energetic, international, motivational keynote speaker and influence igniter. She's an authority on change management, two-time author, host of the Ignite Your Influence podcast, and an experienced virtual, in-person, and hybrid workshop facilitator. After 20 years in highly successful corporate and nonprofit leadership positions, Anne now uses her experience, education, and expertise to ignite your ability to influence others by harnessing emotional intelligence, courageously communicating, and effectively dealing with change. She's a dear friend and colleague. Anne, what an absolute pleasure it is to welcome you to the show, and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Oh, Susan, so great to be here. Thank you. Oh, change management, Anne. Change is just something that we know is a constant, but saying that and actually dealing with it are two different things. And I know that this is an area that you specialize in. So let's go down that path and see where it takes us. I love it. Talk to us about embracing this whole idea of change. Let's say, if we can, feeling more comfortable with the concept. I think we need to get comfortable with the concept of being uncomfortable with change. I like that. Yeah, right? Because the fact is, 
our brains are not built to deal with change. You know, our brains were designed and invented back in the day where doing something that you haven't survived yet could be very, very dangerous. You know, like don't eat that berry. Uncle Frank ate it last week. He's no longer with us, you know, so, and let's not leave the cave at night because we might get eaten by saber tooth tigers. So our brain is built to keep us in the known. And when we're dealing with change, whether it's changing the way we do something, the way we think about something, the way we approach something, the way we interact with people, whatever it is, our brains are saying, whoa, 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 let's stay alive here. And your brain doesn't realize that we're not in mortal danger anymore. And it still throws out those signals. So we're fighting our brains on this, Susan, as we try to muddle through. That's not going away. So if you're waiting for it to be comfortable, you'll be waiting for quite a long time. Well, that's good to know. Then I'll stop waiting. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's all about embracing the discomfort, or as I call it, dancing in the discomfort zone. Let's talk about how can we dance elegantly in this discomfort zone? It's understanding your why. That's a big part of it is like, why the heck am I doing this? Because when we're going to be stepping off the porch of the comfort zone into the discomfort zone, we have to know what we're doing. Because otherwise, oftentimes it's just too uncomfortable to do it. Understanding why am I making this change? What am I hoping for on the other side of this change? And what's that new comfort zone that I'm headed to? That discomfort zone is the space between comfort zones. It's when you leave the old way or the old thing and you're headed towards that new thing. Not only your why, but what are you headed towards? Our authors have a new book and promoting a new book and promoting themselves is very uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. them. Is there a way that you work with your clients to help that discomfort level and being able to see that, hey, I've written this book, I'm proud of it, and I need to get it out to the audience. Yeah. And a lot of times it comes with creating what I call some sassy backtalk. Some people call it a mantra. Some people call it a reminder, whatever you want to call it. I call it sassy backtalk because that works for me. But basically, as you're that safety part of your brain, that voice of doubt is yelling at you, oh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, they might reject you. Oh, this might not work, which believe me, mine yells at me all the time. Having that sassy backtalk or that reminder to say, and it's always the same phrase for me, once I identify what's stopping me, and for me, it's they might not like it, they might judge you. So I say, hey, this book is great. People love it. And the right people are going to want this. And I just remind myself of that. And that allows me to take the steps to promote the book or promote my retreats or promote my webinars or whatever it is that I'm offering saying, you know what? This reason is bigger than this fear. And that's what helps me take that step. I love that. So just having something, you know, a mantra, as you say, an affirmation of some Mm -hmm. kind that you just repeat that when this doubt comes up, because it is going to come up, whether you like it or not, even Mm -hmm. if 
you start selling amazingly well in the beginning, and then all of a sudden those sales drop. Friends and family have bought their copies. (laughs) Your mom has all her copies. (laughs) Yes, she's got as many as she can to give away as gifts to everyone on the street. But then that doubt, as you say, comes into your mind. And I love this idea of the sassy back talk, the head trash that starts coming up and saying, hey, I don't think they're really liking this. It's not selling the way I wanted it to. But you're right. Yeah. Because, I mean, when we're talking about it here, you're like, oh, I can convince myself or I'll be okay." You know, when you're in a in a vacuum, in a safe space. But at Tuesday at 2.30, when you're trying to promote your book, that voice starts talking and you need that sassy back talk to say, hey, we got this. This is important. People are going to want this. Let me go ahead and put this out here. Yeah. So that whole feeling which comes up that feeling of being a fraud, being Mm. a fake, the Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome. And we've talked about it a lot on the podcast with other guests. But again, what's your take on that? I mean, yes, you've got this mantra, but what else? What else to convince yourself to that you really, you are an expert. You've written the book. And to feel good about the fact that, hey, I'm putting this out to the world and it's important. I've got a message. I've got value. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's something that I fought with when I was writing my book is I'm not the first person to write about change. I'm not the end-all, be-all earth expert. And I remind myself of my successes, right? Of the people who did like it. And there are a lot of people who really liked it. So I remind myself of that. And I remind myself, yes, I'm not the end-all, be-all expert. There may be people who know more than me about this. And I know more than a lot of people because I've studied it, I've thought about it, I've experienced it, and I have a unique voice that is going to resonate specifically with some people more so than some of the other books on change. And so this needs to get out there. When I have that imposter thing, that's what I remind myself is, I have a unique little snowflake, Susan. (laughs) That is so, so important. Yeah, the idea that you have a unique voice, you have a unique experience, you've experienced what you've experienced. And as you say, they're going to be umpteen other people who've been and will come and talk about change. But yours is a unique perspective on it. And those people who like what you have to say will follow you, whereas Mm -hmm. somebody else will like what somebody else says. And what do they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears? And for some people, you're going to be the teacher. And others, it's going to be somebody else. Exactly. And I remind myself that I can't make everybody happy because I'm not pizza, but I'm pizza for some people. I know that one of the things that you do really well is to help people move from having an idea and putting that idea into action. Take us down that road. Well, action's scary because you're committing. You're saying, I'm doing this, right? We're really good at planning. We're really good at thinking about it, conceptualize it, but actually stepping off the porch of the comfort zone into whatever new thing you're thinking about doing is scary because you're committing. And honestly, it could fail. And this is what I tell people is, is like, 
so often that same voice of doubt that's telling us all the things in our head that, you know, maybe it's saying to us that we're not good enough, that we don't know enough, that we're not the whole expert. Other times it's telling us all the things that could go wrong (laughs) and all the consequences when it does. And what we forget to remember and what we forget to list out as we're listing all the things that are going to go wrong is all the things that could go right. Because I've found more often than not, when I jump off the porch of the comfort zone, it goes more right than I ever could have imagined. And you know what? When it goes wrong, I can usually figure it out. We forget to remind ourselves, this is another bit of sassy backtalk, we forget to remind ourselves of what could go right. And that's what I always ask people to list out for me. It's like, okay, I get all the things that could go wrong. And I'm not saying they won't go wrong. I'm also saying that you are not thinking about the things that could go right. That's such an important perspective to keep. It's like, yeah, we think about all the time, well, this can go wrong and we can stop worrying about all those things that go wrong and to the point that it stops us from doing it. Right. But when you turn that around and look at, well, what could go right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole career could take off. Yeah. I mean, what if? I worked with a guy once who was a CEO of a graphic design company. He had worked really hard to get there and he was miserable. But he, you know, had a kid who was about to go to college and he was supporting his wife and all of this. And he says, I can't leave. And I said, Well, what are you leaving on the table if you don't leave? And sort of switched around the perspective on it. And he was suddenly like, oh, wow. And so not only thinking, what if it goes right, but how much better could it be if it does go right? Oh, I love that. I love that to keep in mind that that perspective, because I think the the worry warts out there, and I know my daughter's one of them. I mean, she worries about all the kinds of things that can go wrong. But yeah, turning that around and what could go right and how this could, you know, as we say, launch your career, take you to a whole different level of success when you focus on the right. And things are going to go wrong. I right. mean, it's just natural. Yep. But, you know, not everything is going to go according to plan. But yeah. But I mean, try. <laughs> exactly. And we're so good at figuring things out. And in the moment of fear and anxiety, we sell ourselves so short on what we can figure out. If something goes wrong, it's not the end of the world. We're probably going to figure it out and it's probably going to go okay. The exercise I like, because this has to be intentional, Susan, it can't just be, it's not going to happen automatically. Unfortunately, the negative stuff happens automatically. What I like to do is I like to sit down and write, wouldn't it be fun if... And answer that question over and over for, or what if this happened? What if this happened on all the good stuff that could happen? And just spend some time daydreaming about the possibilities. And it really just kind of revs your engine and just, yeah, and it's fun. Yeah, I think that often that whole idea of getting things right, that tends to, like, go into procrastination Mm. because we stop ourselves because it isn't perfect. I know I went through a phase for many years where it had to be perfect and I wouldn't put it out there if it wasn't. Oh my goodness, if I had a typo in something, that was almost like the end of the world. 
mm-hmm. you know what? It really wasn't. <laughs> right. And yes, it's important that we get things to a degree of excellence. And sometimes good enough is good enough. And this is what I talk about in my mental toughness workshops is that sometimes good enough is actually good enough. And it makes all of us perfectionists cringe because we're like, oh, good enough. But there's a point of diminishing returns. The more effort you put in, you start at some point getting less and less value out of the additional effort. And so it takes that courage to say, you know what? This is good enough. I got to let this go. Commit to the risk that it isn't perfect, but understand that I got other more important things to do that's going to get great value and I got to put this away. So funny, all of this reminds me, you know, when people used to write in and say, oh, you made a grammatical error, or as I said, you made a typo. And I would say, oh my goodness, thank you so much. I just don't see my own errors often. And uh, it's people like you who've got eagle eyes who make me so appreciative that you are willing to share that with me. And so I turned it around and mm-hmm. said, thank you yes. to, yeah, for correcting me. And of course, it's like, you know, there are nitpicking people out there. <laughs> well, and, and that's where you have to let it roll off your back and say, okay, yeah, there may be a typo. I can fix it. We're good to go. The content is still there. I still put out a great product. And if that person chooses not to buy another copy because of that typo and missed apostrophe, I think I'm okay with that. I can live with that too. I can live with that as well. Talk to us about mistakes that you see clients make or some of the big ones that you've learned from. What what can you share with us? Our listeners love mistakes. Well, I haven't made any myself. I know. (laughs) know, I should have said that as I introduced it. I know you've never made any mistakes, but, you know, it's some of the ones that your clients have made or people around you, friends, family members. You know, I tell you, it's so funny. I think that, you know, the more times you step off of the porch of the comfort zone, the more mistakes you're going to make and the more you're going to learn and the more you're going to figure out and the more strength and confidence you learn because unknowns become knowns. My biggest mistake going specifically into my speaking career, but also in writing my books is I kept listening to everybody else about how it needed to be done. And I spent a lot of money looking for a checklist or a formula or a strategy that was perfect to do this as quickly and efficiently as possible. And it took me five years to learn that I needed to figure out the right way for me. And the cool thing about all the things I learned (laughs) spending all that money on experts to tell me is I learned what ways wouldn't work. And I learned some strategies that would work for me. But I wish that I had stepped into the realization that I needed to do it my way and that that might be different than some really smart people. I wish I'd realized that earlier because it would have saved me a lot of time and money trying to listen to everybody else. Yeah, me too. It's like looking for the ultimate way of doing things. And I know so many authors follow other authors. They see their success. 
and they see, oh, they put Google ads in or they put Facebook ads and it worked for them. And I've got to do that. I was like, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and are you a- comparing apples with apples rather than apples with oranges? <laughs> right. And it's important to learn from other people, learn from their successes, learn what they do. But what happens when you start taking that on and feeling like, oh, I've got to do that is you should all over yourself. I drowned in the shoulds, should, 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 should. And I drive myself crazy and I end up not doing anything because the shoulds that I'm telling myself I should do are so wrong and uncomfortable for me that I don't do them. And then I sit there feeling bad about not doing them. And then I don't do anything else. And it was like a vicious circle, isn't it? It's awful. And I'll sit there staring at my belly button because I don't want to do the shoulds, but I'm too scared to do the things that feel right. And I'm not doing anything. I needed to say, okay, that's one way that doesn't feel right for me. And that may work great for other people. I'm learning from that. And I'm going to go this other way that feels a little righter for me. And I think so much of what you're saying is just sort of listening to your gut and believing in yourself. And maybe it's accurate and maybe you're going to have some failures along the way, but at least you're doing what you feel is right and what you feel is comfortable, which I think what you alluded to there was the fact that if you don't feel comfortable with it, you're just going to resist doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And listening to your intuition is especially hard when you've got that voice in your head, giving you all the doubts and giving you all the reasons. I mean, imposter syndrome rears its ugly head And you sit there doubting the things that you're like, yeah, but that feels right to me. And so you got to get to that point. And I think I needed to take five years to get to that point. And I still battle the shoulds, but it's an important piece. And we imply that a mistake is a bad thing too. And I think that is in itself is a mistake because we learn so much more when we make a mistake often than when we have a success. Because with success, we'll just move on. But then you get reminded all the time by people around you that live in Shouldville Mm. and, you know, that you should do this, as you said, you should do that. This is the right way of doing it, or this is the way you should do it. And so you do it. It's not surprising that you second guess yourself and you're like, well, maybe I should do that. Maybe I'm, I'm going the wrong way about this. I mean, everybody's got an opinion. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's true. And everybody is right. <laughs> right. And they may have a way that worked beautifully for them and they want to share it with you because they want you to be successful too. So, I mean, it's all coming from a very noble place and we all have to kind of have some, what I call naive arrogance to say, no, I'm going to do it my way. Thanks. I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to take my path. Yeah. Naive arrogance. I like that. <laughs> My dad didn't like that very much, but he didn't. (laughs) He thought arrogance, that's not right. But it is. It's just kind of like, no, I'm going to do it my way. I don't know if it's going to go well, but neither do you know if your way is going to go well. So here we go. As I say, I mean, it's like we're going to fail whether we like it or not. We just don't know when and how. And (laughs) exactly. It's par for the course. Well, and that's another thing is that we kind of have to recognize that is things aren't going to go right. You're not going to avoid failure and mistakes and and all that stuff. And you're going to figure it out. We catastrophize 
the bad things that could happen when often it's just like, oh, okay, if that happens, I'll work it out. Another question you can ask yourself when your brain is telling you all the things that could go wrong is, yes, and how bad is that actually going to be? My whole fear around sales, and I hesitate in a big way around reaching out and offering my services and products to people because I'm so uncomfortable with it. I always have to ask myself, okay, if that bad thing happens and this reach out fails, what happens? They say no. Then what happens? I just make another call, (laughs) right? I'll go have lunch. We catastrophize this stuff. And when we look at the reality of it, it's usually not that big a deal. And that's a famous one, the whole selling piece. And I'm pleased you brought it up because so many authors do hate the idea of selling and promoting Mm -hmm. themselves. They feel it's icky and it's sleazy and they'll do everything to avoid it. And the rejection isn't the rejection of you, which you so often think it is. It's just they don't see the value. of what you're offering at that point in time. And it's not necessarily right for them. And of course, this is easy for me to say, but (laughs) always is easy for me to do. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. When we're on a podcast, it's really easy to talk about, but in the moment- Of course it is. Of course it it is. is. It is tough. And it's recognizing that, again, like you said, if you are doing it in a non-manipulative, smarmy way- They don't see the value of the thing right now for them. It's a not now, not necessarily a no. And I think also if you shift the mindset versus I'm selling me, I'm selling my product, I'm selling my speech to I have this great value to offer. Let me see if it would help them right now. Shifting it to that, it changes the spotlight from you to whoever you're talking to or whoever you're marketing to. So it feels to me at least a little less like, hey, look at me, buy my thing. It's really great. I'm awesome. You know, like it feels that's yucky. <laughs> yeah. And we're not selling books. You're not right. selling speeches. You're not selling coaching. You're not selling training. Mm-hmm. You're selling the value that that coaching or that training or that speech and that book brings to that other person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're dealing in outcomes. Yes. And in value, not just in product. You know, you're not selling screwdrivers. And if you are, you're selling the value of what that screwdriver will do for you. (laughs) I literally just fixed the toilet paper holder in my sink right before we got on this call with a screwdriver. So I stand corrected. (laughs) My life is better now. It's got its place. It's got its place. It's true. (laughs) Oh, and this is great information. It's fun. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you, your services, your book, talk to us. How can they do that? Yeah, sure. Yourchangespeaker.com is my website. If you want to go to discomfortretreat.com, that's my uh, retreat program. If fear and anxiety really holds you back from moving forward and the things that you want, you might want to think about coming and getting uncomfortable with me. But yeah, discomfortretreat.com is my website. And uh, yeah, let me know what I can do for you. My books are called Get Over It and Get Them Over It on dealing with the discomforts of change. So it's all about getting uncomfortable, Susan. What a weird thing to focus your business around, huh? Getting discomfortable. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm visualizing this pit of snakes for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. (laughs) 
Yeah, we don't do that. Oh, good, good. <laughs> There's no eating bugs or sockless overnights in the Arctic. You know, it's a relatively civilized level of discomfort. <laughs> I like it. I'm sure our listeners will feel much better about that too. Or maybe they won't. And that's well, okay too. If you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, Anne, what would that be? I would say take a step. Action shrivels anxiety. And so if you're sitting there worried about something, do something about it. Take a step, do something. So if you're worried about marketing your book, do a little thing, reach out to one person, do one post, because that's going to help you feel more confident and feel more in control of the movement and the momentum through that discomfort zone. Action shrivels anxiety. That is beautiful. So visual. (laughs) Just see it sort of shriveling up there. Well, thank you. And I know that you've got something special that uh, when we head over into our premium membership that you're going to share with our premium members. So uh, listeners, if you're not a member yet of our premium membership site, then head on over there and sign up because Anne's going to continue this conversation with some juicy pieces of advice and uh, we'll see her over there. But in the meantime, I'm going to say thank you, Anne, for sharing your wisdom on this podcast. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book and author marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book-selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com. And we'll see you again next week 